If you have your Bible, open it up to Psalm 66 and 67. As a pastor, as I try to distill down the text and get the principle that God is trying to communicate to us in any chapter or section, in this case, two chapters, uh, two Psalms this morning, um, because I am married to an artist and I have apparently now raised two artists, uh, I am outnumbered. So I, I often get to look a lot smarter on Sunday mornings than I actually am. Uh, because I've been drugged to museum after museum. I'm not drugged. I joyfully went to museum <laughs> after museum. I've often thought that I could make a, a YouTube channel of just commentating on the ridic- ridiculousness of some art. But um, but every once in a while, you see things that, that jump out to you. And then as you think about the text, my mind is just naturally drawn to some comparisons. And so that, that kind of happened... Um, this morning or, or this week for this morning in Psalm 66 and 67. And I want to start, this is, this is kind of a unique uh, artist. Um, he really wasn't even considered an artist uh, during his life. Uh, like many artists aren't really appreciated uh, during their times. But he's definitely come to be appreciated um, as he's passed away. And he's a much more modern artist. He, I was research and he actually died two years before I was born, um, which was kind of interesting to me. Um, But M.C. Escher was an artist who drew very detailed images that used mathematics to create unique perspectives. And, And depending on how you look at his art, he uses those mathematic equations to have your mind almost play tricks on you. Some of you are probably most familiar with his most famous work, The Infinite Staircase, that, that as you follow it, it, it looks like it never ends because of the way he plays with perspective. Um, but I want to show you another of his pieces this morning called Circle Limit, Heaven and Hell. And I'm going to show it to you in two different ways. So this is the first way you can look at it. And depending on how your eye is drawn to it, you're either going to see an angel or you're going to see a demon. All right, so hit the next slide, Matt. So if you look at it this way, the focus shifts and you see the demon predominantly um, instead of the angels. Now, he, he liked to use these things to kind of mess with our perspective. So if you put them up side by side, again, same same image, just slightly rotated. And the perspective changes. You you see something different. If you're a Christian this morning, you see the angel. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But but his his art is so unique because it's, it's a matter of perspective and how you look at it and how you look at things. And you may be asking yourself, okay, we're talking about Psalm 66 and 67. Why are you showing me perspective art? And and, and I want to read a quote to you that, that I came across in my study this week that I think will help bring that into focus. And this is the quote. We can let our circumstances inform our view of God or allow our view of God to interpret our circumstances. 
One brings hope, and one brings despair. These are the two perspectives that we can look at our life. We we can look at our life through our circumstances, or we can interpret our circumstances through our view of God. And for many of us, and I am probably the chief of sinners here, as Paul would say, far too often I let my circumstances inform my view of God. And maybe that's you this morning. And I don't know what those circumstances are. Maybe it's a a, a cancer diagnosis or some other chronic illness diagnosis. And those circumstances are, are informing how you look at God. Maybe it's the loss of someone you loved and cared about. And, and that, that loss is informing your view of God. Maybe it's being estranged, estranged from your children. And, and that's informing your view of God. Maybe you just watch the news and you just see all the hatred and violence in the world. And you let that inform your view of God. Whatever the circumstances are in your life, you let that inform your view of God. But the biblical authors, however, remind us repeatedly that we need to let our view of God interpret our circumstances. That's the other perspective this morning that that we need to be focusing on as believers. And I say that they often remind us because sometimes the biblical authors, thankfully, and I say this because it helps me as a believer, sometimes they fall into the same camp. They let their circumstances inform their view of God. And then God has to correct them and help them to come back to see him as a good and just God. And when they do, and they let that view of God inform their circumstances, it changes their mood. Not necessarily their circumstances. Things don't necessarily always get better. The cancer doesn't always go away. The chronic illness doesn't always go away. The relationships aren't always mended. But there is a joy that comes when we have the right perspective on our life. We see this in the book of James. James says something really interesting in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when we meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may become perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. See, James's view of God helps him interpret his circumstances. And how he interprets those circumstances is, all of this is for my good, from a good God. I may not like it, I may not enjoy it, but it's from the heart of a good heavenly father that loves us and cares about us. And he's willing to do whatever it takes to break the idols of our hearts. And remember, oftentimes those idols are good things that we've made God things. 
They're not just the vices. Those, those are idols too. But so many times for believers, we take a good thing and we just elevate it to a God thing. Now, I'm going to start a little differently this morning in this exposition of these two psalms. I'm going to start in the middle of Psalm 66 because I think the middle of Psalm 66 verses 10 through 12 really unfold and help us to understand everything else about Psalm 66 and Psalm 67. They, they, again, kind of dovetail together so perfectly. Look at what he says in Psalm 66 verses 10 through 12. For you, O God, have tested us, you have tried us, As silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us to a place of abundance. Now what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to start with a very important principle. A principle that that I hope each and every one of us If you leave with nothing else, leave with this one principle. Understand that God is the one refining you. Right? You brought us into the net, he says in verse 10. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. God is the one that is refining us. When you understand that, it will lead to joy. Understanding that God is the one that refines us will lead to joy. That is the big overarching principle I want you to see this morning. And then I'm going to look at a couple of responses that just naturally flow out of believing that God is the one that is refining us and how that leads to joy. You have tried us, the psalmist says, as silver is tried. Now, if you don't know, most of you probably haven't been smelting silver lately. But it's not, it's not a pleasant process. If you're the silver, it's, it's not a fun process. What they do with the silver when they're trying it and refining it and smelting it is they, they heat it up. And what happens is all of the impurities, all of the things that they don't want in the silver, they rise to the top. And then they smelt that stuff off the top. But first, you've got to get it really, really hot. So this is a process of of testing and purification that the psalmist is talking about. And the same thing is true with our lives. I, I, I remember growing up in church. And I thought I just knew some of the most godly, sweet, Christian, just, I mean, oh, they were just, they were just awesome people. And then our church went through a split. And all of a sudden... The angels from that M.C. Escher drawing shifted. And all the people that I thought were angels became demons. The words that came out of the mouth, their hatred that they had for people that they used to say they loved and cared about, 
for a young man in his youth, I thought, I don't want any part of this. I don't want anything to do with this. And see, so many people can play the part. It's when times get tough, that, that's when the things start to rise to the top. That, that's when all those impurities start to, to show up. When everything is good, when everything is easy, we, we just we rock along, no big deal. I trust God, of course I trust God. Look at my life. Everything about my life says I trust God. Yet, nothing about your life is hard. Other than the few things you make hard. <laughs> right? But, but it's, it's, it's when those external pressures, it's when that external heat starts to hit your heart, then all of a sudden, all those things in your heart, all that deep-rooted sin begins to float to the top. And you become exposed. And people begin to see you for what you really are. And then look at what he says in verse 11. Verse 11 shows us what this testing looked like. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. Now, the net the psalmist is talking about here that what was caused was, was being taken captive, right? Just, just as you catch prey in a net or you catch fish in a net, they're taken captive. The next line, you laid a crushing burden on our backs. The, the impressors, the enslavers, they, they forced them to do things that otherwise they would never have chosen to do. And then he goes on in verse 12, you let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. This sounds like a familiar pattern if you've read the Old Testament much, right? Net crushing burden, maybe defeat in battle when the people riding over their heads. And then the last thing, you brought us out to a place of abundance. This this is a familiar biblical pattern that we see in Scripture. It sounds a lot like the Israelites being enslaved in Egypt, forced to bear under heavy burdens in Egypt. They were subdued. They were overwhelmed. But then the exodus... When, when the exodus to the wilderness and they were brought out into a place of abundance. There seems to be the same sort of trajectory here. And so it's like the psalmist is describing some circumstance in his own life. He's not actually talking about the exodus experience. What he's doing is he's overlaying that experience onto his life. Maybe even the nation's life if this was the king talking, right? Where there was some kind of affliction, some kind of difficulty, but then he experienced God's deliverance. And he's using the Exodus sequence, the Exodus story from Israel's history, seemingly to explain what he's going through now, personally. And then look at verse 14. There he says, that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. Do you hear what he's saying here? He was in trouble. He, he was afflicted in some way. And what did he do? He's calling on the Lord. He's not questioning God's goodness. He's making vows to God. He seems to be saying something like this. Lord, I know that you are in sovereign control. And in these horrible circumstances that I find myself in today... 
Things are, are not going the way I want them to go. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to put my hope in you. And I'm going, to call, I'm going to be calling on you. And if you deliver me, I'm going to worship you. The deal that's made is I'm going to trust you. And if you bring me to a place where I can worship <laughs> through sacrifices and offerings, I will do that. Right? This is not a like bartering with God. Like if you do this, I will do this. He's, he's saying, if I make it through... If you get me back to a place where I can worship you, I will worship you because I'm trusting you through this whole process. That's what the psalmist is saying. This is kind of the inner heart of this psalm. The psalm delivers everything from a perspective of affliction. He's being afflicted in some way. Look at the end of verse 12. Again, you brought us out to a place of abundance. So now having been delivered, I want to look at three ways the psalmist responds. And I I think we can learn how we should respond to our affliction in our lives. So if if you're taking notes this morning, the big principle is understanding that God is the one that is refining us will lead to joy. God is the one refining us will lead to joy. And then three responses that we see in the text this morning. First, our first response should be corporate worship. We see that in verses 1 through 9 of Psalm 66. Our second response will be private worship. And we see that in verses 13 through 20 of Psalm 66. And then our third response should be to pray that God's plan for this world is ultimately fulfilled. And we see that in Psalm 67. So let's just unpack this. I think in many ways the psalm speaks for itself. I don't have to do a lot of interpretation this morning. Um, but I, but I, I just want you to see these three things from the text. Our first response, when we understand that God is the one refining us, and that leads us to joy, we should worship together corporately. Verse 1 of 66 says, shout for joy. To God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name, Selah. So you have this first section where we we are seen we we see the people of God shouting for joy to God but not just the people of God even the enemies of God are coming cringing before God all of the earth we're going to see in verse 60 or chapter 67 that that the let the nations be glad right let let the world be glad and worship this awesome powerful God who tries his people not to punish them, not not as some kind of sadist in heaven, but to refine them and to bring them to a place of purity and holiness. Verse 5, come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. 
He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever. Whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Selah. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. Who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. Again, he's recounting in corporate worship the deeds that God has done. Right? This is something that we typically do week in and week out. We're telling some form of that Exodus story. That some form of God bringing us through affliction and delivering us. If nothing else, we see that in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The, the affliction of this life, the affliction of sin that every one of us walked into the room with this morning. We have been delivered through Jesus Christ on the cross to save us when we couldn't save ourselves. We were facing a sea that we couldn't part, a river that we couldn't walk through. And yet God made a way through his son, Jesus Christ. And every Sunday we come and we remind ourselves as a body of believers of what God has done. We come and see what God has done, how awesome his deeds toward the children of man. There is no more awesome deed than he has done than sending his son to die for us on the cross. And when we come together as a body of believers, week in and week out, we celebrate that truth. But it shouldn't just be something we celebrate for an hour on Sunday morning. No, it, it, it should trickle out into the other six days and however many hours, I'm not good with math, that we have in a week, right? And we see that second response in verses 13 through 20. Notice the shift here and how many times he says, I. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you. That which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble, I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats, Selah. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. It's, it's not just the fact that we come together and celebrate, but we're also individually proclaiming and telling everyone that will listen to us how good our God is. That, that we are individually praising his name as we go about our lives. And he, he's reminding us here that, that the Lord listened to him. Why? Because he hadn't cherished the iniquity of his heart. In other words, he had confessed and repented of his sin. Now, how do you know that, Dale? Well, the way in which that worked in the Old Testament is you made those sacrifices. 
That, that was your act of repentance. There was a, a physical thing that went along with your confession of sin. And it was taking an animal and sacrificing that animal. That, that repentance was there was a death. But that death was an animal. Now in the new covenant, Jesus being the ultimate sacrifice that, that has taken upon himself all of our sin, all of our iniquity, once for all. We make that confession and that repentance by confessing to God and whoever else is involved and repenting. In in other words, killing, putting to death whatever that sin was in our lives and turning away from that and to life with our Heavenly Father. And when we do that, we like the psalmist in verse 19, but truly God has listened to me He is attended to the voice of my prayer. When we are regularly confessing and repenting of our sins, we can have confidence to know that God hears and answers our prayers and that his steadfast love never will leave us nor forsake us. Our third response will be to pray that God's plan for the world is fulfilled In Psalm 67, typically the Bible teaches us to pray specifically, to avoid generalities, right? So so when we're confessing, we don't go to God and say, God, I'm such a bad person. Please forgive me of everything I've done. Confession, when it is effective, is specific. We're we're confessing, God, you have shown me this about myself. I've realized that I have sinned in this way, and I am confessing fill in the blank, specifically, right? But every once in a while, the Bible shows us a different pattern of prayer. And that is one of general prayer that we see here in Psalm 67. This prayer is a prayer for the entire world. It's it's a prayer for every nation in the world. Listen to what he says. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. There's no greater experience in this world than knowing, feeling God's face shining upon us. And and, and in those moments, as fleeting as they may be in your life, to really appreciate and know you are exactly where God wants you to be, doing exactly what God wants you to do. Oftentimes that comes when you're sacrificing, you're laying down your own life to serve someone else's life. When you're living out the gospel that we are called to live. And, and that, that's just, it's just a, an amazing experience to feel his face shining upon us. He goes on, that your way may be known on earth, not in this church, not in our small group, not in our DNA, not with this one person. Generally, his way would be known throughout the earth. Your saving power among all nations, not some of the nations, not the nations we like. Right? Let, let your saving grace be known in Russia. 
in China, in Palestine, in Israel, in Zimbabwe, in North Korea. All nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the people with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. I love that verse 4. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. What I wouldn't give this morning to have woken up, turned on the news, and instead of seeing more bombing, more people dying of hurricanes, more war, the nations singing in praise to God. Can you imagine? Every channel that you turned on focused on every, not, not some protest against whatever, but every nation rallying together, people crowding the streets, praising God. What a glorious day that will be. And, and, and if we are believers who understand that it is God that is trying us, that, that is purifying us, that, that is a good God, then this is something we will want for the nations. This is something we will want for the entire world. We, we will want to see God judge perfectly the nations of men. And as 66 says, even the enemies will come cringing and praising because of God's goodness. If we understand that it is God that is the one that is trying us, it's not happen chance. It's not fate. It's not Mother Earth sending a, a, a hurricane to try us. It's God. God is the one that is purifying our souls this morning. That means everything has purpose. Everything has meaning and value. Even the things this morning that I don't understand. And there's a lot that I hate about this world. The the, the sinfulness of men is rampant and wicked. And, And just to be fair... The wickedness of women too. I don't leave anybody out. Got to be inclusive, right? We're, we're all wicked. We're all trying to take advantage and seek our own ends. And yet somehow in the midst of all of that, God is working it out for our good. For those who call on him, And are called according to his purposes. 
He's working at all. I, I don't know how that works, felt, but God, you come up here and say, how does this work? I, I don't know. I don't know, but I know it's true. And because I know it's true, it brings me joy. Anything else makes me doubt the power of God, which makes me deeply depressed. Because then I'm praying and I'm calling out to somebody who can't do anything to fix it. And instead of me trying to let my circumstances affect my view of God and try to change my God, I want to let my view of God change the way I view my my circumstances and my perspective shift to maybe there's something in me that needs to be purified out of me. And that leads me to joy. It leads me to corporate worship. It leads me to private worship. It, It leads me to call for in prayer for this to happen for the entire world because I believe God is good. Today, the kids are learning in the back about the table of nations. Those long lists in the Old Testament that oftentimes we skip over. But but they're there for a reason. They're there to remind us of God's faithfulness to his plan. They're they're not just a footnote. They're not just something that's put in there of like, oh, hey, and by the way, he's the son of this and the son of that. No, all of that's there so that when you study through that, you understand that God, despite man's sinfulness, despite a father picking the wrong son to give the blessing to, He's still God and he still got what he wanted to happen to happen. And and no matter how many times people tried to destroy his people, he rescued them when they repented and turned back to him. That the whole Old Testament is just a picture of God's faithfulness and man's unfaithfulness. (laughs) But even in the midst of man's unfaithfulness, It's a bigger picture of God's faithfulness. Right? And we're reminding the kids of that this morning. That that those lists matter. And yeah, your mom and dad probably can't pronounce the names right. But they matter. Because it shows that God is faithful to accomplish what Psalm 67 says is going to happen. This morning we have... A choice before us. We can let our circumstances inform our view of God. Or we can allow our view of God to interpret our circumstances. One will bring hope. One will bring despair and misery and depression. This morning, I I hope you see that no matter what is happening in the circumstances of your life, God is bringing us to a place of abundance. And I'm going to be honest with you, where a lot of people may not be honest with you, that abundance may not come while you're alive. It may not. We're we're not here to preach health and wealth. To to tell you that if you believe in God, everything is going to get better. In fact, it's probably going to get harder. Right? 
But I promise you this. He is taking us all to a place of great abundance that we can't even imagine. And even if you get a little bit of abundance on this earth, the moths are going to destroy it. Your children are going to run through the money. It's not going to last. So so what do you want? Do Do you want that eternal abundance that nothing can destroy? And, and, and as Paul says, you go through a light momentary affliction to get there. If we let our view of God, that he is good and he is just, guide us and interpret our circumstances, it will lead us to so much joy this morning. And I pray that's the perspective, that's the choice that you pick this morning. And this morning, if you have been letting your circumstances inform your view of God, this morning that you would confess and repent of that to him and say, Lord, I I confess. I've been letting this situation impact the way I view you, impact my relationship with you, impact my service to you. And I'm turning away from that. I want to put that to death and I want you to help me walk in a new way. One that sees you as good and just and holy. I don't know why you're here this morning. I don't know what your circumstances are. But I want you to know that you serve a God who loves you and who cares about you and who's purifying you. And that can be painful but it's ultimately for your good. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Psalms like Psalm 66 and 67 that remind us that even in the midst of affliction, we serve a God who is for us and that you are working all things, all things for our good. And Lord, our finite minds cannot even begin to comprehend how all of that works. But thankfully, we serve an infinite God who is higher than our reason and our understanding will ever be. And Lord, I pray this morning that that if our perspectives have gotten off, Lord, I know you've convicted me this week of, of so many different smaller ways in my life that that my perspective was focused on my circumstances and focused instead of focused on you. I, I pray this morning that you would call us to confession and repentance and that we would turn away and we would let our view of you help us to interpret our circumstances. And that would lead us to joy. Even though our circumstances may not change, but we know nothing is wasted in your kingdom. And Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray your Holy Spirit would draw their hearts this morning and they would put their faith and trust in you. You alone can make a way when there is no way. 
And it's through your son that we get to that place of abundance. I pray that no one would leave this place without knowing.